0: Hello, friends. I'm your host, Chris Thrall. I'm a former Royal Marines Commando. I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Keith, how are you, brother? Very well, mate. Thank you. Very well. <laughs> Our paths crossed on LinkedIn. I just happened to see something mentioned about military paras trauma plant medicine and my ears just went i've kind of got this theory i think everybody in society is traumatized now
1: to to a greater or lesser degree we all have our issues sure yeah i mean whether you call that someone labeled it or someone expressed it this way once it's big t trauma and little t trauma which i'm like yeah pretty much everyone i would imagine has big t and or little t trauma certainly in our communities so and that's where most of my focus is these
0: days yeah that's a great way to put it because you you've got different ends of this or different parts of the scale haven't we so we we're in that awful predicament where some of our brothers and sisters are taking their own lives and that's the big T at the extreme end of the big T. and then like i was going for my run this morning and it it kind of saddens me keith if if not If not infuriates me a wee bit, I'm going to be honest. No one says hello anymore. This is not knocking young people. My degrees in youth work, you know, I'm passionate about young people and welfare and development. They're bimbling along, staring at the ground purposely so they don't have to look at you or whipping the phone out and so damaged by life that they can't even say hello to another human being who's smiling, you know, who's smile, smiling at them. Of course, it's not their fault. Look at their role models, adults who are just on their phone all the time. I mean...
1: for and plus, I think it comes from a place of, you know, there can be a lack of confidence. I might have been the same to be I mean, I didn't have mobile phones when I was that young necessarily, but a lack of confidence and a little bit of a, you know, fear of it's, it's, it's a vulnerable place these days to be able to look up and meet someone's eye and say hello.
0: Keith, I should just point out before everyone jumps in the comments section hating me. I, I'm not having a go at young people, friends. I'm concerned with this agenda that that clearly st- takes great delight in damaging people beyond belief to the point where in human society now we cannot even say hello to the person that's sharing the pavement with us. And it's five o'clock in the morning. There's nobody else around. That's quite a unique thing that two people are out at five o'clock in the morning, passing each other this close. And one of them is so whatever it is that they, they cannot bring themselves to go. All right. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and so, yes, little T trauma, I call, or or, or societal <laughs> trauma, but, but...
1: dog walkers are good for that. Dog walkers will always say, I like...
0: <laughs> yes, dog walkers, but, I, you know, I'm old enough now, Keith, to see the evolution of it. It used to be, you could see the way it was going. Look, like my parents' generation were, certainly before then, they all said hello. Then with my parents' generation, it started to slow down a bit. Then with my generation, it was like, if you're a runner, you definitely say hello to another runner. Then it started to be that women running wouldn't say hello. And when you look at the damage that society does to women through the beauty culture and these evil, evil magazines and everything everything is structured about you know body image well you can you can understand why a woman running is probably a lot more self-conscious than a bloke now what i'm saying is no now it's everyone (laughs) you know i believe in the art of war sun Tzu. know your enemy there's clearly one out there that's just set out to damage damage people beyond belief and and um you know what? What whoever that enemy is that, that you know, whether it's fractal beings or, or you know, some metaphorical entity, um, or or a physical group—it it, it, that's probably a conversation for another day. But um, let's go back to your story. So, parachute regiment. How old well were you when you joined?
1: I was old, actually. I signed up at twenty-four. Um, so uh, I was in depot with a you know 18 year olds um, but it was great i loved it but yeah i was considerably older than everyone else of uh, all my peers i was pretty much the oldest but
0: did they call you grandpa
1: I was old man apes was
0: my it's uh, <laughs> <which is> fine <laughs> what kind of childhood did did you have
1: like a leading question then to say well, why did i join the military
0: well I've sort of haven't hidden the fact that I think my story is quite similar to a lot of other Marines. Uh, I don't know what percentage, but I had quite a traumatized upbringing. Um, I was homeless for the second time at 17 and living in my car. Um, At which point when someone suggested I I couldn't join the Royal Marines because I wasn't tough enough. I thought, do you know what? I think I could, you know, and I was that angry uh, someone judging me and telling me what I couldn't couldn't do I went down the recruiting office out of spite for them um, and the rest is his history as they say
1: what, what you said there, there's a lot of things to, to, that you can address and yeah. I wouldn't necessarily disagree with anything you said I think it's important to remember that there's still a lot of good work being done out there for, for homeless people there's a lot of people that are dedicating their lives to homeless people and getting people or Addicts um, that go under the radar and that are not celebrated as, as our society's heroes, but they do still exist. So, sure, while those people are are in a terrible situation, um, to say that all of society is repelled by them, or uh, I, I think that's that's the, I wouldn't I wouldn't go along with that. I think that sure there is that that exists that perception exists. But that's always going to be, I don't think you can ever do anything about mm. the whole of society and changing people's, everyone's perspectives. You can't please everyone. But I think you're not wrong with the military perspective. that Yeah, sure, if you do lose a leg or an arm in Afghan or something, then you're going to be a lot better. You're going to, not maybe not necessarily in your mental health, but at least you'll be far better supported through military charities and viewed more positively in society generally than someone that loses a leg or an arm in a car accident, for instance. But then I suppose that the validation of that, which I'm not saying that I agree with but, but society's perspective, is that, oh, that person suffered that that injury in service to their nation. That's not a perspective that I necessarily share, but that that's probably the perspective that they come from is that well, they deserve a little bit more of our support because they lost, they suffered that injury in service to society or our society, our community. So I I understand it. Um, And I suppose the the thing that I try and keep in mind, because otherwise it would drive me crazy, is that I can, so uh, I I like to think that I've dedicated my life in service to trying to help other people now, now at least. And, but when I first started, I had, when I first started, I had to acknowledge that I couldn't help everyone and that my focus couldn't be on homeless people and um, sexual abuse and all the other sorts of trauma and experiences that we as individuals experience for our lives. We just have to pick something, pick something, and go with the thing that is strongest, that's that's most attractive to us. And um, I feel like veterans are very good at ser- serving their own community again after. And while while I've I've shifted my focus to try and um, change drug laws in the UK, which we're campaigning for at the moment. We can talk about that more later, but. Um, introducing veterans to the idea and the opportunity and the potential benefits of plant medicines and probably most specifically psychedelic therapy that is the thing that i'm I'm like most passionate about and so therefore i dedicate my energy to that and i can't then while i have compassion obviously have compassion for homeless veterans actually if i then shift my energy and focus on that then I would lose I would lose the power in my ability to help people experience plant medicine safely and efficiently so I think to, to come back to what you were saying is that we can only we're only human and we all have the things that we care about most and actually, if we you can care too much I think and that is, As strange as that may sound, it's hard to care about everything and everyone. We've got our things that we're most passionate about. And that's probably the most effective way of creating change in the world is that one person's passion is um, the environment. And they're absolutely not interested in veterans. And that's fine because the environment needs that person's power and energy into their work. That the veterans need all of my power and my energy and I can't then start changing and shifting focus everywhere else there needs to be a level of focus I think and and so to wrap up my point here it would be I tr- I'm trying not to condemn society too much about like not caring about certain things because I know there are huge groups of people that care a great deal about a subject that I one, know very little about, or two, I can't afford to care too much about that because of what I just just explained, because it would detract from my ability to help serve people and the thing that I'm most passionate about. Someone might call me negligent of uh, people that suffer from sexual abuse, and I am Mm -hmm. because I'm trying to focus on the thing that I'm most passionate about, but I know that there are Lots of people out there trying to do their best for people that suffer from sexual abuse or that are addicts or that are any number of things. So uh, that helps me stay sane in a world where the media would have you believe that no one cares about anyone. What I actually see, if I ignore what the media says, what I actually see in my life, I see a lot of evidence of people actually caring a great deal about one another. And I prefer that perspective It's much healthier for me (laughs) than if I were to focus on what the daily mail is trying to shove down my throat, which is not healthy for anyone. It's my personal belief. Does that that make sense?
0: Yes. Yes. It probably gets a bit confusing Keith, because obviously I've got a platform to talk to a lot of people and it's my duty is to inform people as just as a humanist that, the trauma thing isn't what people. Th- it's very often not what people think. And oh, that's another point.
1: Sorry to cut you off. You made another very good point that say that with with people's trauma. The other thing that I've experienced, I mean the civilian population, when talking about trauma. So if I if I turn up at a, a sharing circle or an event, or I do a podcast like this, or I speak publicly and share my experiences and the things that have traumatized me. Mm. Civilians believe that my trauma is more valid than theirs. That's exactly
0: the point that that I was getting at.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I was, I was agreeing with you. There's no Mm. hierarchy of trauma that everyone's trauma is valid and and equally worthy of, of dealing with and and supporting.
0: Yes. And are, are you able to talk us through what, what, what traumatised you, Keith? I guess is yeah, what I'm trying to... Sure. Without, yeah. like, you don't have to relive it or anything, but...
1: No, no, it's fine. I mean, that's the beauty of plant medicine work, is that I'm I'm no longer traumatised by it. Mm-hmm. I can talk freely. Um, so with regards to childhood, I mean, we all have our issues in our childhood, but I can't really complain. I, I came from a, a relatively stable background. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I didn't suffer in, in, in really that way. Of course... We all have our little things that inform our behaviours as adults. Of course we do. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't then claim that to be trauma for me. Um, certainly, not, and certainly not big T trauma if we go back and use those, that terminology. Um, but relationships did it for me. This collapsing of important relationships um, certainly caused me significant issues. And... The, my earliest one, who's, is the mother of my oldest son. Um, that relationship broke down. And that was actually a catalyst for me joining the parachute regiment. Um, it just, it was a perfect storm of events because that relationship broke down. And then 9-11 happened and I was desperate. So I always wanted to join the military anyway. But I felt while I was certainly traumatized by the breakdown of that relationship, there was a freedom from it then as well, so that I could then do what I wanted and join the military instead of being trapped in a home life. And 9-11 provided the military scenarios that were very attractive to me because I knew that there would be combat involved and that I didn't want to waste my time in the military not fighting. I only wanted to fight because I was an angry young man, bitter, angry, violent young man. And... Um, and that's what the parachute regiment wants. And again, while I no longer agree with violence, in this reality that we live in, there are wars, and if you're going to fight in a war, you probably need the people that are angry and aggressive and capable of violence, because that's the scenario, that's the working environment that they're that they're mm-hmm. going to be used in. And hopefully, like in the Marines and the parachute regiment. Hopefully they're well trained and disciplined enough to not just be some wild, crazed killer, but they're, they're actually a, an effective fighting tool and a, and a weapon themselves. But the one that's disciplined and and yeah, one that's disciplined uh, because it's no good just being angry and violent and ill-disciplined. But then we've got a significant problem.
0: It's not always like that, though, is it? No,
1: no, it's not always like that. But the no. the, the the effort, at least in my what my experiences were, Mm. is that that is an ideal that they do try and stick to. Because ultimately, if you don't have discipline in the military, everything falls apart. Everything falls apart. So the reg is really, I mean, it's a great environment. Obviously, you know, I kind of wish it didn't have to exist because my son's in the reg now as well. Um, And I would prefer he didn't have to experience things that I did, even though he does want to experience the things that I did i.e. combat yeah we use those young men to for that end but but it can also be constructive i i owe the man that i am today i owe to my experiences traumatic as they were in, in in afghanistan i served in iraq as well i'm the person i am because of those experiences and i was fortunate enough to be given an opportunity to heal from those experiences And therefore, now I can turn my attention onto more healthier avenues Mm. and ways of spending my time, focusing my efforts. And I'm hoping to share that with as many other people as I can in our communities. And I'm aware not everyone gets that. I'm I'm acutely aware that not everyone gets that. Um, But we do our best. And I, I do believe that with regiments, and I'm sure the Marines, even though we have our banter, I'm sure, you're a disciplined bunch. Generally, we'll always have the odd one, but generally we're a disciplined bunch. And that, that level of physical fitness and discipline and commitment and camaraderie and community counts for a lot, especially for disillusioned, angry young men. I think it can be a force for good while I accept that it can also be a destructive force as well. It's like everything. There are two sides to
0: it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, it's like a solution to a problem <laughs> that wouldn't be needed if we didn't have the problem, I suppose, you know, um, yeah, I grew up at time, like my parents generation just didn't know anything about anything. I mean, they, ju- they just didn't, you know, they, Grew up on old wives' tales and superstition and and ill-founded etiquette and and da 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 da. If I'd said to them spirit spiritual battle to them, they like literally would have no idea in any way, shape, or form what the hell I was talking about. Let alone terms like healing and. of Course went to church every week still to this day i have no idea what 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 the hell that was all all about and i just think it's kind of funny that you know you're quite right the the military was a incredible experience i think for for many of us i do wonder what it would been like growing it you know growing up in an environment where we weren't all the these angry damaged young people and and that instead of an indoctrination system uh, as education we had an enlightenment system and it was recognized that loves the highest form of con- you know consciousness and 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 that we wouldn't then have the need to all come out as damaged young men that need to then go in the military to find ourselves da 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 but
1: what uh, keep... but life is suffering anyway life is a very difficult experience regardless so even if we did have the, if we, even if we did have institutions obviously i believe that life would be far less difficult mm. for the greater amount of people on earth yes. ultimately life will always still be difficult and we can't escape that it's just how we choose to respond to life's challenges that's what we need an education in life, i believe and so even if we did have the establishment the established education system that supported that. Life would still be difficult. We can't avoid it because of relationships are difficult. Interactions with other human beings are difficult. Politics is difficult. Diplomacy is difficult. Love is difficult. So it's it's an education. The, what we would really be best served with is an education in how, how to respond more healthily to life's challenges and, and We don't often get that, but, you know, there are practices that have existed for many, many, many generations that have been well tested, like meditation, like plant medicines, like body-based practices, like yoga, for instance. I I don't practice Mm -hmm. yoga, but I'm aware of its benefits. All of these things have lasted so long because the effects have been proven time and time again throughout generations, throughout regions of the world that have never come into contact with each other we have come to understand that moving our body, then being still and focusing our mind, i.e. meditation, and then maybe doing deeper work by the use of psychedelics, perhaps, we have come to understand across the globe, different civilizations throughout our history, that these things work. And I think that's always worth considering that these are the things that work and we would be best served if we gave a little time each day To practicing those
0: things, one or several of them. So, Keith, I'm keen to just delve more into your story and how you got to where you are. Um, So, you you said that you 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 felt quite a damaged, angry young man from relationship failures. That's what took you into the military.
1: What what were your? I always wanted to be in the military, though, and you were young age,
0: yeah. And what what were your what were your tours like? Did did you see a lot of death?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I was in Iraq in two thousand five, two thousand and six on the winter tour. That was fine. Um, there was an IED threat, but um we, we lost people, but I wasn't involved in those situations. And so it was fine. For me personally, it was fine. And for my um for my team. Uh but then then I was in Afghanistan in the summer of 2008, and that was that was difficult. That was very difficult. At the same time, it was everything that I signed up for because uh, I signed up to fight. I signed up to kill bad guys, and I got that. So lesson number one from Afghan, careful what you wish for. Um, it was very difficult. On that tour, we lost 10 people. I think through the nine years that I served, or nearly nine years, I think um, there were sixteen deaths uh, in two para. Not all through combat, but still, they were my friends. And losing them through accidents or suicide is, is often. It. it doesn't matter how you lose them; we lose them. It's difficult. And um, but it honestly, that was the catalyst. You spoke about your catalyst, where you hit you hit your bottom, and that's the catalyst. My catalyst was. There was so much killing and death, which, again, I signed up for. But it doesn't mean that it protected me from being traumatized by it. And I was very much traumatized by it. Like I say, I lost a lot of friends. I was directly involved in their evacuations. And even at the time when I was, you know, there were times where I was carrying their bodies. Even at that time. I was understanding, I was thinking, this is going to cost me dearly, and, uh, and it did. Mm. But at the same time, it was the catalyst for profound growth, profound transformation that has me sitting here today in front of you doing the work that I'm doing, because without that, without those experiences, I would not be here doing the work I'm doing. I would still be an angry, bitter, resentful young man, and that has been sucked out of me and yeah, I'm being repurposed. have mm, been yes. repurposed. So I, I'm actually I've been healed to a point where I would say that I'm actually very grateful for my experiences in Afghan, despite the, the profound difficulty that I was mm. that me and my teams were subjected to. I'm I'm grateful for them.
0: you talk about losing your um colleagues, Keith. What what about the taking of life? Was that a, did that, yeah, form, that did that form, form part of your trauma?
1: Yeah, less, less so, but sure, of course, the shame and guilt. Um, because it was one, it was more one-sided than the other, to be fair. I lost more friends than I caused death. Um, obviously I was part of a wider picture that caused a lot of death, but me as an individual, I, Was directly involved in only a couple of incidences and while I would not choose to do that again that experience itself formed part of the catalyst again because I recognized how unnecessary and foolish and awful that act is how terrible that act is but having done it Or from what I believe I've done, because it's not confirmed, but from what I believe I did, that formed part of the catalyst. I I do not want to do that anymore. So I'm, I'm, I believe myself while I fail from time to time, because my dog tests me every now and then, I'm actually a militant pacifist. And I know a lot of people in our community wouldn't agree with that and probably just roll their eyes and say, Oh my God. I've just, I've seen where violence takes us whether that's on just outside on the pub on the street or the far end of that spectrum where we're killing people. And my friends are dying. It's all that's on the same spectrum violence just begets more violence and more anger and more suffering. And I don't want to be a part of that anymore. Even though sometimes my dog has annoyed me so much that I've had to resort to a little bit of violence, which, you know, I'm only human, but generally Violence is not the answer to the problems that we face in this world today, and it and it never was, it never was.
0: Well, yeah, um, yeah.
1: People will disagree with my perspective. I'm perfectly I
0: accept. Ah, no, fuck them. They, they, they can, <laughs> they're not on. Weird. They need to come on the podcast, then, don't they? No. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of funny. You say my community. I'm. This is the. This is the thing is is the veterans community is made up of all kinds of different people, isn't it? Oops, I, I know so many people would just laugh at the would just laugh at their service and just see it for what it was, you know, a youngsters adventure and sometimes it got a bit you know, a bit a bit serious. I'm I'm enjoying being in the spiritual community now because it's just it's just incredible. The people that you meet, the, the genuineness, um, in individuals, just not having to explain yourself or anything about your life or dirty because to get to where they are, like they've been there, Keith, you know, um, what I wanted to, uh, uh come on to is so at what, at what, how did it, this um, trauma, how did it manifest in your life? I'm I'm guessing it was towards the end of your service or when, when you came out of the service. Did did yeah. things start to go a bit pear-shaped?
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah. So I, the way it manifested for me was that I started to sweat a lot all over my body at all times, like in my sleep. At all times, 24 hours a day, I was sweating. As soon as I got out of the shower, I was sweating. I was sleep-sweating. I couldn't shake people. I was ashamed to shake people's hands because my hands were sweating. Couldn't hug people because my armpits were sweating, which brings shame and embarrassment and traumatized me because of, because of my shame of sweating. So my sweating was a consequence of my trauma of Afghan and the resultant um, relationships that broke down because of my behavior. But then the consequences, the symptoms of that trauma, also caused me <laughs> caused me to suffer because of the shame of sweating mm. and uh, yeah is so this,
0: is this some sort of like panic attack or flight or fight mechanism well yeah I mean
1: it will be it would be that but it was all the time. It was it was absolutely constant. And um, so it wasn't just in a particular scenario or in a particular environment or under certain stimuli. It was under all all stimuli, all environments. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really hard to nail down. And, uh, but I've got, I've got a good grip on that now. Well, not a grip. I've, I've overcome that now. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks to the work that, you know, I'm responsible for that. I've, I've taken responsibility for myself. And I'm grateful for the people that have taught me the things, but ultimately it was me turning up every day and practising those things that that did the work yeah so in addition to that like i alluded to the relationship broke down after afghan my behavior became more and more erratic my partner she she wasn't really capable enough to to manage me and i don't know who would be it's not it's not an insult to her to say that i don't mean Mm -hmm. it i don't know who would be unless they're a therapist Um. so Things fell apart, and that was very unpleasant because I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with her. Did
0: you have any children with this partner? No. 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 But just one from your previous?
1: Yeah. yeah. Now I've got another. I just had one. I've got a four-month-old baby daughter.
0: Oh, congratulations. Thank yes. You. <laughs> get, you get ready for all that. oh, they're nice at this age.
1: <laughs> it's actually been very, very difficult. I've, I've been in a very difficult phase. So it's, um, she's adorable. She's wonderful. Mm. But actually, I found it incredibly difficult oh so, uh, hopefully thinking- i'm i'm aiming for some some respite
0: <laughs> yes oh, okay yes um so i'm gonna get that yeah i i, I kind of got lucky there i came to it quite late in life met an absolutely adorable person and um we didn't do any of the like the i don't even know what the, was it prenatal classes or something mm-hmm. we were just like if we don't know how to look after another human being with probably a bit pants. So um, I remember running out the the hospital. It was like, are they going to sign us off yet? Can we just go? And I remember running out with our little one in a buggy and uh, in the little carry buggy thing and uh, got home. I said to my partner, do you mind if I go running? <laughs> She's like, go i'm like okay see you later so i went out and ran a marathon um and uh let her have a little snuggle with uh, her uh, our bundle of joy but obviously it's a very special thing being a mother when you you start breastfeeding and stuff it's uh fascinating fascinating did you have a rock bottom with this these this um symptomatic behavior uh
1: no it didn't really unfold that way for me it was a it was a I just felt overwhelmed and hopeless enough. I'd hit rock bottom before and I knew what that looked like because I'd been suicidal before. And I knew what that looked like and felt like. And I was close to that, but I recognised it. So then I was, I, was, I was pretty much desperately trying lots of things, which most people do, you know, what well, start as talking therapy and antidepressants, uh, which didn't, didn't work for me which is, I get one of the reasons why I do what I do is work with plant medicines. Um, I got into uh, meditation and the Chinese internal arts, like martial arts and Qigong. It's like a Chinese yoga. Uh, and that really served me very well. Um, I, I traveled to China and studied under several different masters over different periods of time uh, to learn those practices. So I teach that now. Professionally, that's what I do for a living, whereas my charity is voluntary.
0: And just um, to explain for our friends out there, Keith, that might not be aware, this is about harnessing energy, is it not? Is it um, I think we could.
1: I think we could use different – I would use different language and just say that if we come from the perspective of the mind and the body are one thing, if – if we use an example of mental trauma, so PTSD, for instance, so the mind has been traumatised. If the mind and body are one, that means that the trauma will be in the body, held in the body as well. And the mind is quite is an abstract thing, right? So you can't grab hold of the mind and do something with it. It's abstract. So it's it takes a very skilled practitioner to be able to work at the level of the mind. Whether that's a psychotherapist or whether that's um, someone that meditates, it takes a lot of skill and time and dedication to to get to that level. Whereas actually, the easiest access point is to try and find that physical manifestation of that mental trauma in your body and work at the bo- at the level of the physical body. So that's why things like yoga are so useful because they just get the body moving and stretching and you'll soon find out where you're hiding, hiding where you're storing tension and and trauma in your body. And while I don't practice yoga, it's very similar to the Chinese practices, which I do practice and they focus on, or some of them, the ones that I practice focus on seeking out areas of the body where you're holding tension and trauma and there's techniques where you would let go of that over a period of time. It's not a, it's not an instantaneous thing. It's over a period of time. Uh, so that's how I would describe it. At the, at the, yeah. If I'm talking to a veterans community, that's normally how I would describe it. Then, of course, there's yeah. energetic work. Of course, it's a spiritual practice, but that normally comes later down the line because you have to develop the skill at a physical level first. Normally, before you would get the energetic benefits and the spiritual benefits, which are progress, that that's a pro process, and you would achieve that by way of making
0: progress. So, could you give us an example of if you were doing a session with someone, or or you're doing a session with yourself? What 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 do you like actually do? Is it like the Tai Chi that you see? Yeah, I teach Tai Chi as well. Um yeah. very
1: powerful tool. Tai Chi is a very advanced practice. A lot of people might laugh at it, and like it's for old people. But actually, it's a very advanced practice. Um, yeah. So yeah, Tai Chi is very important to me. Um, but that that's a martial art, so that has slightly that has multiple focal points for the mind. So self defense being one of them, yeah. but then also working. On your own body and not having to worry about an opponent so there's a there's at least a duality to that experience whereas the one that i engage with most on, like on a daily basis and i teach most is actually just a form of um standing meditation you just have i i, I stand in a particular posture that has been developed over many thousands of years that has been acknowledged is a very good way of dumping physical tension from the body. There's a particular stance and a posture that if you hold it for long enough, your body will start shaking and trembling and jumping. Mm. And that is tension and trauma leaving the body. But at the same time, you have to have a focal point for your mind, much like in seated meditation. The mind must be focused on something. There are points in the body that I rest my attention on. Or that I get my students to rest their attention on and just learn to focus on one thing despite all other distractions, which is that's what meditation is: it's mm. learning to focus on one thing despite other distractions. Uh, it's very difficult, and very unpleasant. It's very unpleasant, but it gets great results. Mm. So that's been very important for my own transformation, and, and fortunately, I've been blessed enough to see that transformation. A lot of my students so I feel very lucky but then also plant medicine's played a huge role in my in my
0: yeah healing as well I want to come on to that um I'm just wondering do we need to ascertain at, at what point did you start to come into contact with other veterans who were uh, su- suffering if we can call it that
1: well, well, because I shared my experiences with with my my team, I knew that they, were, you know, I knew that they were suffering already. Some of them worse than me, some of them not so bad. But I knew plenty of people that were suffering, and and they weren't my focus at that point because I was still trying to get myself sorted out. It wasn't until I left the jungle after my first experiences with something called ayahuasca. Um, It was after my first two times drinking ayahuasca. Then I left the jungle. Then I recognized that I had been healed of all of my combat trauma. All of my combat trauma had gone immediately. And and then I recognized, well, I'm not the only one that's experiencing this. Mm -hmm. Other people are, are worthy of this. Other people need this. So how do I go about helping those people access ayahuasca? And so that's then that's when I started to change the focus of my life and I quit my job. And then I started a few years later, I started up the charity Heroic Hearts UK. And um, then, then then I focused on other people because then I was in a position of strength to do so.
0: Yes, got you, got you. So I've only done one plant ceremony. It was relatively recently. And uh, my good friend James English, I think he's done a couple now. He's a very popular podcaster, and he's taken people down to um, Costa Rica, I believe, um, to some of the the uh, healing facilities down there, for want of a, a better word. And he was saying, "Chris, you're going to come. You're going to, you know, you." And I was like, James, I like, I think I'm healed you know i don't tend to get on with that hallucinogenic side of things that well it normally turns out quite horrifying for me then i have to ride the trip out like you know in, in horror and then i physically feel quite like in shock afterwards you know it's like so you
1: a normal I, experience there
0: <laughs> well so i said to James Elam, mate. Um, you know, i I'm, I'm. I think, I think I'm all right, mate. But recently, um, I I was invited by a veteran, very, very nice chap. In fact, he's coming driving down from up country to see me tomorrow. Drop what he was doing to come and help me help me paint the house. That's that's what I say about you know this. I, I love the, you know, yes, we're both veterans. We don't even talk about that. I didn't even know what regiment he was in. Um, he, he knows me from the from my my youtube channel and we talk we talk about healing and and you know the beauty of life and oh look at that landscape and but anyway sorry i'm waffling a bit he he took me for a spiritual weekend in glastonbury and um yeah part 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 of it was a ceremony um some of some of it may or may not have been the stuff you just mentioned, um, and but the the main form of it was this drink. It was a green drink. It looked very much like a maté tea that they drink in Argentina, and had a similar sort of bitter, bittery kind of taste to it. I can't can't remember the name of it. It started off all feeling quite sort of mellow. Every time I close my eyes. And the guys in the room are talking about how they're in this lovely, beautiful fa- bubble with their family. They think they've done enough of these because they feel healed. I'm just seeing aliens coming at me like that nonstop, like something from the film Alien just coming. Then it's morphing into blood dripping, sacrificing devils. All just you know, all on all all on the canvas that I'm seeing in my mind every time I shut my eyes, and then it started to bring the people that I love into it, with horrible, let's just say, awful, awful. And I, at that point, I was like, "Fucking right, I'm going, folks. I'm I'm going down a pub, and uh, I went and sat in the pub and had a couple of pints and uh, and listened to some music." <laughs> I would say that yes. Undoubtedly it brought me close to three areas of my life, Keith, that I think that I I kind of knew I needed to address it. But this it kind of like brought it up close and personal. And I'm like, right. Nothing to do, folks, with the demons and the monsters. That 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 was just I don't know. I know life can well, you know life can be dark. You know, there is you know, we've 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 all had some serious experiences. I don't know if that's something to do with it, but I did come away with it with an immense feeling of calmness, despite it feeling like quite a traumatizing experience itself. Um, I did feel I, I realized at one point I have this repeating memory. I, I guess, I think they call them intrusive memories that that like, I just put that to bed. Now I've always used it as like, well, You know, I pluck one thing from my childhood as a kind of example of like what I what I went through. And then on this thing, I was like, hang on. That in itself is holding me back, Keith, you know, even if my mind now starts veering like I'm just no, no, it's a beautiful day. Move on. Was it to do with diet? Um, You know, I do have a tendency to to overeat a bit. (laughs) No, I, I knew that's kind of like spiritually whole, being a bit of a blocker. Um and there was there was something something else. So um, Can I just
1: address can I just address a couple of things that you said? Just yeah, Please, please,
0: like, if if you can make sense of it. <laughs> oh no,
1: I, I wouldn't dream of trying to make sense of it for you. That's not my business. Um, yeah. I I just think I, I've because of my work, I've got a responsibility to uh, probably in, not probably. I've got a responsibility to inform people of how best to undergo these experiences if they feel that they are necessary. And if you don't feel, not you, the, your, your viewers, if you don't feel that this is for you or necessary, then I would suggest don't do it. <laughs> um, I, my perspective, while of course, uh, I'm not against recreational use of anything we're all um, consenting adults well once you're a consenting adult I believe you should be free to uh, to do whatever you think is best as long as you're not harming someone when we talk about things like ayahuasca which is a, a is an amazonian medicine I, I equate ayahuasca to surgery surgery for the mind and for the heart for the emotions and you don't go and have surgery for fun don't go and have surgery for no reason mm. and 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 this this the no reason bit brings me to an important point it's one you go to surgery for something specific and that in psychedelics we can we would term that an intention so if you were talking about physical um surgery you know you're having a heart operation or you're a knee operation or something it's specific it's not just I might have some surgery on something you pick. I don't know, you pick doctor, and um, you wouldn't do that, you would go for something specific in psychedelics. The best, the best, and most effective way to dealing with or to working with these medicines is to have a reason, to have an intention, and while to not grasp. Cling on to that intention through the experience, because that would be causing its own difficulties. To hold it, to hold it in your awareness is often a very good way to start working with these medicines, to have an intention, a specific intention. And if, um, yeah, and then afterwards, a very important thing is helping people to integrate the experience that they've had into their normal life. And I would also suggest that a third element to it is you need to prepare in a very mindful way for the experience and be prepared both physically through dietary changes, prepared psychologically through understanding what your intention would be, and then prepared emotionally for what might happen. But the experience is so subjective, I can't tell you what the experience would be they are highly likely to be challenging because we're highly likely to be going there because there's something wrong with us we want surgery on something we need to be prepared that it might be challenging and we need tools to be able to deal with those challenges so being able to being able to um use our breath as as a tool for helping us to retain uh, uh, and some semblance of calm instead of getting very upset or re-traumatized by the experience, if we can just remember to breathe and relax, then generally everything plays out well enough in the end, even though it's still going to be difficult. So preparation is key and a very serious aspect of working with plant medicines. Having an intention is key. Having the correct setting and the environment within which you do it is, is so fundamentally important. I can't stress it enough. That's, we take this very seriously when my charity, these aspects of this practice, mm. and third, then as I alluded to, helping people integrate what they experienced into their life, and what I mean by that is, you might see something. Well, you you suggested that there might be a need for you to do to make some dietary changes or behavioural changes with regard to food, um, and I'm not going to make any assumptions on that. But what you said, you you felt like you might need to make some dietary changes. That's good enough to work with. Mm. So if I was to help you integrate that experience, one role I could perform was holding you to account to say, you already probably know what changes you need to make. So you need to take responsibility for yourself instead of giving the responsibility to the plant medicines and psychedelics that you're taking, even though they're gonna be a very helpful tool. You have to take responsibility for yourself every day to make sure that you do what you were told in the ceremony. So for you, if you don't mind me using you as an example, I would hold you to account each day and check in on you and say, What's your relationship with food today? How are you behaving around food today? Are you using it as a as a distraction or as a crutch for some pain that you're experiencing? And if you are, it's all okay, because we fail with humans, but then starting from that failure point then we need to try again don't we try and not do that same mistake again and on the next day we turn up again and we try not to do that again and the next day and the next day and before long thanks to the work of the medicine and our own practice our determination and conviction we've created a new habit and that habit is the healing the new habit of again you not consuming food in some way that's harmful for you
0: Mm.
1: you've then created a habit that should last you the rest of your life but you were responsible for it and you got a helping hand from the plant medicine Mm. just as an example and these these points are fundamental to the experience and if we deviate from any of those points we can often find ourselves in trouble and that's where these plants sometimes get a little bit of bad press the plants in themselves have been found clinically to be very safe, they're non-addictive, you cannot overdose on them. Um, well, um, um, let's say ayahuasca, for instance, and mm. psilocybin, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms. They've proven to be very safe in clinical environments. The, the data is, insists that they're safe. They're not addictive, they're not harmful on, a, on the scale of harmful drugs. They register at the very, very base of harmful drugs in society. Alcohol is the most harmful drug in society, both for the user and for society. Alcohol is over here, very harmful. Things like psilocybin and uh, MDMA are over here with minimal harm and overwhelmingly positive benefits to them as well in most cases if we stick to protocols and the parameters that i've just suggested there so if any of your viewers and listeners are thinking i'm interested in working with some of these plants and if we're the veterans they can always approach our charity and register their desire to join one of our retreats we've got a very strict vetting process so they need to pass that first Um, but they have to understand that this is not a game and that what they're signing up for is surgery and surgery is serious business and we have to treat it with respect. And that respect is we prepare ourselves properly. We under, we, we learn and practice tools that help us through different difficult challenges. And then we integrate it correctly in our life by applying what we've learned and employing what we've learned in our, in our life, making the necessary changes. And I, I can't stress that enough. It's so important when we're talking about these medicines that we do all of those things because we can find ourselves in a very, very difficult place if we don't, and and if we don't have the support that we need as well. So thank you for listening to that, but I I can't stress that enough.
0: I can tell that you know what you're talking about, Keith. You've covered all... I mean, I hope so. (laughs) Yeah, no. Well, I mean, you've just covered all the bases there. Um, For my experience, I'm not... It was a bit – I remember hearing someone say, like, when you go into one of these ceremonies, don't have any preconceived ideas. So – and that was kind of me. I was like, yeah. Now, as far as the intention goes, I was sort of like a bit open there probably. Are you thinking that I needed to sort of niche down on a particular –
1: well, yeah, it would have been helpful, I believe, but, but the preparation probably you might not have pre- and then drinking alcohol immediately after it. Alcohol is a alcohol is a is a poison. Mm. It's a poison and a toxin and a depressant. Um so one point I try to make as often as I when I speak publicly, because I talk about mental health a lot. Depression is a comorbidity of PTSD. So if you've got PTSD, chances are you'll have depression or anxiety mm. and or anxiety it's a comorbidity, it's what it's called mm. alcohol is a depressant and it's an incredibly powerful depressant so if you are depressed not not you mm. if you as an individual are depressed alcohol is the single worst thing that you can consume the single most w- worst and dangerous thing that you can consume so any any listeners out there, if you're depressed, please stay off the drink. And I, and I know it's such a societally, s- socially acceptable drug. If we're depressed, it's the worst, the worst. Please stay off mm. the drink. Yeah. I, not, I, I always try to make that point.
0: Yeah, it's not even being depressed, although you are exactly right. It's, it, you know, anything that you put between you and the universe between you and the energy is a blocker, whether that be religion, substances, coping, you know, strategy. And you've only got to have, you know, a pint in the evening or two or, or whatever. you And you're not yourself when you're waking up the next day, you know, life is just, it, it's just automatically so much harder. And you, you, you've, and and you people that haven't connected with spirit won't realize what it is to sever that connection. Because I, I, you know, but I, even
1: before that, I think even before that, if we if we just maintain the fact that physically, it's a poison, and mm-hmm. I, I agree with. You, I'm not disagreeing with the spiritual aspect in any way. Mm. All of these things, any of these disorders, like gambling, or any anything that we use as a distraction from our suffering is part of the problem. It's understandable because we we don't want to suffer, so we'll do anything to avoid ourselves suffering. But then our coping mechanisms cause us to suffer more in the instances of things like gambling or substance abuse disorders.
0: Mm.
1: It's also poisoning us physically and killing us. Alcohol is killing us as a society and also is terrible for our mental health. It's just so, so bad for our mental health. So before we even start talking about energetics and, and spirituality, which I'll be, I would be in another time, I'd be very happy to talk about. Mm. If we just stick to the physical, which is, you know, the easiest to grasp, we're poisoning ourselves, we're killing ourselves, and we are making our situation so much worse by drinking alcohol if we have mental health issues. We'd be far better served staying off alcohol. It's just, it's, I can't stress that enough. I'm so passionate about
0: how. Yes, bad yes. It, put, putting it in basic terms like that for the for our friends out there, uh, absolutely. Um, the thing about the spirituals, it's not just the energy, uh, you know, or your life philosophy. It, it's it, to me, it relates to my body's chemicals. My serotonin, my natural levels of DMT, dopamine that, you know, that you get when you, when you exercise and, you know, when, when you, when you live a life away from all these intoxicants, your body sort of naturally has this in some sort of homo, homo status status, if that's the right word, All, all in check and all in balance, um, once you introduce like Keith says a poison, you're poisoning that system that system that generally you know you're gonna be quite happy and overcome the life's challenges it 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 poisons it so it no longer works, and then what would be a manageable challenge suddenly becomes insurmountable um so insurmountable. This is why veterans take not not just veterans but this is why I think um you see people take their their own lives as um, it magnifies problems into what they're not um
1: but that's not also not to say that's not to, i wouldn't i wouldn't subscribe to the idea that um that all problems are surmountable um with well', we'll leave it at the point that alcohol will certainly make it worse mm. alcohol will make something worse whatever that something is will make it worse. But that's all, then that's also true of we should also be mindful of the effects of gambling. anything that is a distraction. If, if we are distracting ourselves from our suffering, we will never heal from our suffering because we have to turn and face our suffering. And, and that is what meditation does. That's what these internal practices, that are, the Chinese practices I mentioned, that's what plant medicines do. They ask us to rip out all of our distractions, which is painful because the distractions are coping mechanisms. It asks us to rip out all of those distractions or as many distractions as we can and focus on the suffering. And really, it's only once we focus on our suffering that we begin to understand it and that we can learn to let go of that suffering. And sure we might need a helping hand from daily practices I can't stress enough the importance of daily practices, creating our own discipline, creating our own habits of healthy eating, of exercise, of meditation. But then also you can you can hopefully if it's right for the individual, gain access to plant medicines because they are very safe and very effective way of healing potentially our traumas. But we do have to take responsibility. Sorry if you can hear that. It's my dog snoring in her sleep. Um, we have to take responsibility. And part of that responsibility is if we're suffering, if we're suffering alcohol, just, it's bad. It's bad business. And I'm not, I'm against prohibition in any way, but we're, we're responsible. We choose we choose mm. choose try hard to not choose alcohol and your problems will decrease they might still seem into mountains more they might still be extreme and very insignificant i still will be alcohol will only make that worse so that, i think i might have to make that my final point
0: <laughs> yes yes um can you just tell us kiev as a sort of summary what um how how are you in your own journey do you do you feel like i mean is there always some work to do is that no so. is that normal yeah but then it's also
1: i i believe i believe there's always work to do there's an, always an opportunity to work on ourselves and develop and grow however i don't believe that it's either necessary or wise to always be seeking healing so the way that i would put that is Perhaps get a big chunk of healing done and then live your life Mm. until you recognize, ah, there's actually another thing that I need to do. Deal with that and then live your life. Don't just keep – there are people that just continually try to constantly seek healing. And we need time, time to heal and time to integrate our healing experiences. You can't just always be healing because you'll never integrate the things that you've learned. So you're, you're lessening the, the benefits by just constantly seeking out something new. And that in itself can be a distraction, seeking out healing all the time. That that can be a distraction from the issue.
0: Yeah, and put, um, putting into practice what you've learned then then gives you a feedback loop, doesn't it, to find out, like, if it works, what what worked best, what didn't work, would I do this again? Do I need right. to focus? Yeah. Yeah. Do I need
1: to do it every day to these self-care practices? Yeah. So I'm in a good place. Thank you. So the charity is focused on plant medicine work that's heroic hearts project UK and um, there is one in the U S and Canada. So just make sure that you're approaching the UK website and you can contact us through that. You can apply to join retreats through the website um we we're awaiting funding for our next retreat so there's nothing in the pipeline just yet but you can join the waiting list or if you wanted to talk to me professionally about the chinese arts that i practice or meditation then uh, you can contact me through keithjabraham.com uh, and that's my that's my personal professional website as opposed to charity
0: yes and the final thing we should say there folks if you're suffering reach out because yeah it's not abnormal to suffer especially if you've been in the military I mean it's quite normal and the only weakest member of the team is the one that doesn't reach out to get help so so please do massive thank you for coming on the show you know, thank you uh, friends at home much much love to you please look after yourself if you could like and subscribe we're always going to ask you that and uh, cheers cheers friends thank you for listening to the bought the t-shirt podcast please like subscribe and share don't forget to follow me on social media. Username Chris Thrall, Instagram Chris. Thrall. Thank you.